take your time before you rush into something and don't believe one side of the stories try to get different perspectives and when you are sure that your help is actually going to make an impact on somebody's life without any harm then help I'm Lee Matthews and you're listening to the Good Problem podcast a weekly series unpacking the sticky art of doing good Today's guest has quite the life story. Born in a remote village in the far west of Nepal, Sushil Babu Chetri went for a walk one day at the age of seven, heading off beyond the hills that surrounded his village. And a few months later, he found himself homeless and living on the streets of Kathmandu. Sushil's story of street living, his time in an orphanage, and his perspective on volunteers that want to help children like him is invaluable. It's Sushil's and my hope that by sharing his story, we can continue to amplify the voices of other children and adults who have been on the receiving end of people's good intentions to support children in orphanages. And through that, change the way we care for vulnerable children. Welcome to the Good Problem Podcast, Sushil. Thank you. Thank you, Lake, for inviting me in your beautiful podcast. I'm very happy to talk about or share things that I know around this topic. Thank you so much. We're very happy to have you. So, Shil, I want to ask you a question. What does the idea of doing good mean to you personally? Well, like this doing good thing is especially, you know, when it comes to religion or when it comes to impressions. So everyone actually, when they're capable, they want to give something to other person that who is in need. And it's always very confusing what is good or bad. A lot of people, we help to people, you know, we want to do good because the good intention is inside ourselves. If we see anything, children begging or anything that it makes us feel to do good and unwantingly trying to do good, we don't see the behind the story when doing good. So it's your question is what is doing good is, yes, of course, you got to help to other people, but but you need to understand yourself that you're doing good or you're feeling good is actually bringing the result good. It's not always about giving, you know. It's uh, a lot of people says, oh, I feel good. I, I want to give. Uh, I do volunteer here. I ask this question a lot of time to volunteers and people like, is it volunteering is selfless act? And a lot of people says me, yes, it's selfless. I'm doing this not to getting back anything. I just want to help, right? So if you just want to help, then it's wrong. If you are doing good not expecting anything back then it's not right in my perspective it's always have to be two way uh, the giver and the receiver receiver need to respect that help and the giver need to take a time to understand that his help what he's trying to do or she's trying to do good that good gonna bring the good outcome so many time unknownly doing good it brings harm most of the time that's what i think is that the doing good the giver need to understand that it's not him giving you know it he have to understand the willingness of receiver that how willingly he wants to receive that and even just feeling good is also getting back something right so the good need to understand it's it's not completely selfless you know if you do just selfless you're just giving 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 and nothing is coming back so absolutely yeah and so shell how do you express doing good in your daily life Doing good in my daily life, how I express doing good is um, I talk with a lot of people, a lot of students. Like these days, there a lot of youth in Nepal, you know. What used to happen in a West, like the, now the, there is a big wave of people 
trying to feel good because they think they are privileged, right? And wants to help, right? And same thing in Nepal is like, there is two things. There is a new era of youngsters coming out, trying to pretend themselves like, okay, they're doing good, you know, posting photos in Facebook, social sites, you know. If somebody does something, if one of friends gives something to orphanage or old age home, they post something. So it's a wave, you know, everyone trying to do the same thing. Like when there is a crisis and then, but not thinking of long term. So my terms of how I do good is basically I meet a lot of children that comes out of orphanage, you know, like a lot of my friends, a lot of youngsters, they wrote me, you know, all the time, like, oh, Susildai, we are living orphanage. What should we do? And so my doing good is I always give a suggestion to people, friends, volunteers, you know, trying to bring this thing is like what we are giving to people to bring that good result. So I always do workshops uh, in college, schools, and even I meet a lot of orphanage homes uh, randomly, you know, say them my stories and say them that like, this is not only life because 80% of children that lives in orphanage home are not orphan, right? So there will be a time to go back to family, to go back to real life. Just living in this kind of childcare, it's like a communism. One person get one bananas, everybody get one bananas. Uh, the God is chosen by somebody. Color is chosen by somebody. They even when to laugh and when to cry is also it's guided by somebody, you know. So the teenage you spend your guided life and it's tough to come out. So I try to talk with those people. There is a life after that also. And then it's tough also that life, you know. So I try to prepare them to face the realities, you know, because uh, we need to go back to family. Uh, we need to make our own family, you know, um, uh, progress. So I just try to talk with them to prepare them that actually, you know, that there is a other life. And as well as that, I meet like a lot of volunteers. So I always get into arguments of, you know, the things that they're doing good, they're privileged one, they're helping here to kids, you know, but actually that they guided by somebody's perspective, you know, what I'm telling to you, it's like even the every NGO people, the further volunteers, they're just following that stories, that stories come up from the organization side, right? And they, they blindly believe this. So I always say is like, ask 100 questions, you know, ask before you help. It's not gonna destroy anything if you don't help. But if you help it, knowingly that your help gonna make sense, then it's good. And Sushil, I'd like to take you back to when you were around seven years old. You left your home in a remote village in far west Nepal. You went for a walk. Can you tell us what happened next? Oh, yeah. Now my family always ask me, like, what was the problem? Why you left home? So I give a simple answer to them that why Buddha left home, you know? I was a very curious kid, you know? I was growing up in my place. I don't know, actually. I was like... My family, they tried to put me in schools too. Actually, I was going this class one thing in a school, but I was like, I'm not enjoying school or that place. You know, I was always playing. I was making my own playing toys. You know, I was making cars, this, that, everything that uh, I was making TV when I was a kid. And yes, of course, my dad had uh, some, this little alcoholic problem, but everybody does, but he was not that bad, actually, you know, more bad here uh, a lot of people comes with. So my family wasn't that bad, but. I still am confused why I left home, but it was the moment I thought that, okay, I need to become a king, you know. I came to Kathmandu to actually become a king because king was killed and I thought, okay, there is nobody, you know. So I need to go to the Kathmandu. And you were, you were seven years old. How far did you walk? I think that time it was like six, seven hours. And then I got into bus and I went in another city. So in another city, I was, I don't know, I was in a street for a while. Then I started, I spent almost seven months in this another city. And then I heard that King was killed, you know. 
so I was like, okay, now me, there's nobody I need to go. It was just, I don't know, I was a very ambitious kid, you know, and uh, somehow I find, I make a way to Kathmandu. I knew that somebody works on the bus. Then I came to Kathmandu and in Kathmandu, it was not like I imagined, you know. So I ended up on a street in Kathmandu. And what was that like for you at, at what, seven or eight years old, alone on the street in a in a huge city? A lot of people think I was scared or anything. I was, I was not actually scared. You know, I was enjoying that. I was enjoying the big city. I was enjoying that moment and I was having fun at the starting. But there was a lot of dark side also come later on. But then slowly I started being in a street and the most scariest part was I was not in the street children group. Even I was sleeping in a street. I always, in early morning, I would go to the, this public water tap, you know, clean my face, always look smart kid, you know, and standing in and I, I didn't know nothing English because I didn't even in school. So I started seeing these other street kids, you know, with a full of glue, weed, all kind, all sort of drugs that you find in a street. And I was their target, actually, you know, because I was not in their group. So I was not giving any money that I make. So I was always, um, my first English that I learned, I remember was, excuse me, sir, do you need a guide, you know? Excuse me, sir, do you need a hotel, you know? And then I don't wait for answers, you know? They say, yes or no, I don't care. I just say that and I hold their hand and I walk with them. So that was how I get introduced in Tamil actually you know so there's one very uh, very uh, moment I remember you know my mom was always used to say me like hey don't go out of home uh, you will find a white people they will take you and they will put you in a machine and they will make you well out of it I never seen a white people in my village right so so for me it was like the starting when I'm in Tamil seeing all these foreigners I was like so scared but later on I understand they're lovely people you know they would give me biscuits they would give me money so it was different time that time and everyone was very kind even the people that time was it was not that commercialized now you know so so there wasn't problem actually in the street for the food and things but then slowly as I started living in a the street then the other troubles started coming you know um I get into fight for no reason, you know, they, they always come with the drug and try to beat me. Always they steal my money, whatever I make. So I spend almost every day when I was in the street, you know, I stand there, I will meet somebody who will rescue me, you know, who will adopt me. So I was a kid with a big ambitious that I knew that my family will never do it. Even when I was a child, I knew that I want to make films in the future. You know, I was very obsessed with TV and this sort of stuff. And even when I was in the street, I will always look TV. You know, I spent half of my day watching TV in somebody's shop from outside. Then slowly I started feeling very hard in the street. My drug experience, if it would go good, then I would enjoy the street life. But my first, uh, this dendrite glue experience was very wrong. One of my friend was next to me, you know, he got, his leg was like infected. The leg looks very disgusting. Um, and I was, he gave me the dendrite next to me, you know, and when I was trying to inhale that dendrite, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm inhaling his blood that coming out from his leg, which made me never, ever try again the glue. So as I was not with any drugs in the street, I learned smoking cigarettes. So cigarette was my top drugs in the street because it's too cold in winter in Kathmandu, you know, and me, a small kid with just a t-shirt, you know. But I would sleep very good in footpath, you know. I wouldn't even realize that people took my jackets, money, everything. Then after four years, almost four years, I guess, every day I was trying to rescue myself, you know. I was talking to people and then slowly I learned some language. A little bit of English, like, hello, sir, namaste, where are you from? Uh, I want to do this, that. And then after that, I meet one foreigner volunteer. Let's say she was doing volunteer in some sort of orphanage home. She was always watching me in the street. Like a lot of people don't used to think I'm a street kid. So nobody came to me actually directly to take me to rescue or something. But she came 
into me and then i tried to explain her with her translator i said like look you know i don't want to be in a street you know um, i want to continue my school or i want to get rescued actually you know and i thought that she going to take me you know i going to be in her home but actually she took me to an orphanage home out of kathmandu when i went in orphanage home i was very happy because i was the biggest kid and i see that so many children like there was almost 20 children in that house it was looking nice orphanage a lot of paintings in the wall you know thank you mom with a different foreigners names i don't know how many moms you know all the volunteers were actually a mom you know <laughs> but later i realized what it was but when i went there it was so good but after 2 3 days i started realizing that every saturday we had to go to church because church was giving money every monday we had to go to some other religion because they were giving some food you know and the bigger kids of us that every thursday we have to go to the vegetable market to beg like hey we're from orphanage home give vegetables even those guy who runs that orphanage he was into tourism you know so he he would never be there so there is another guy like punish everybody if one person does mistake that 20 kids 20 of us will get punished or won't get food you know um it was tough you know as i was from a street so i had a little bit of this street attitude so i tried to escape also at the starting i tried few times to escape but i couldn't and then later on there was all sort of actually abuse you know and then i realized that none of them were orphan no schools and we were trained very good when foreigners come you know we have to smile and sing a song for them and do drawings and all this and when they go again life is same you know so we always wish there would be a volunteer and all the programs were actually designed there to make volunteers happy there wouldn't be any events when there is no volunteers so when there is a people coming there will be a football match there will be picnic you know to make it look good So now i understand why it was you know and when we were kid we were very happy you know when volunteers comes they give us chocolate they gives this hogs you know we are like attention seekers uh, that love you know like we felt like oh these people are like so humble you know they would come they would cry when they are going they would hug you know and we feel too much close to them and that this the time was passing i started getting very offended with the everything was happening there the little girls they were being abused the guy who was run is to run is his intention was not clear and the who was the owner of the orphanage um that was his kind of a side business because he used to run a trekking business and he's still into that business i meet him time to time in tamil where i live now and was that where the volunteers were coming from the tourism business exactly exactly the sponsors donors and the volunteers so he was getting money from the church also cuz church um needed more people more christians so we were the part of that every saturday we had to go to church even we don't like and none of us actually like that but we were kids you know we would be very happy if we get food or if we get time to get out of the orphanage and things were good before i wanted to escape but later i wanted to escape with everyone so that what make me to stop there you know i could actually easily escape after after a year or two years you know um, i had a chances that i could escape but then i was so much attached with all of these kids i was actually learning from them then i find uh, there was an american family actually who was living next to us the bhiba bell who run this umbrella foundation actually she was a friend with her they were working in uh, some sort of big international ngo so they had a big ground security guard in their home you know one morning i just was walking in this nearby and i met them and said hey can we come to play a football at her house you know and then she was like yeah you can come you know then we started going to play at her house her and her whole family is actually started giving us a food her security guard actually our first teachers they started teaching us alphabets they started teaching us how to write and things so we started enjoying going there and she actually wanted to help that orphanage but that guy went to her and she says hey and she asked him why don't you put kids in a school i see them from 2 years they are not in a school 
and he says oh i don't have a microvan you know give me $30000 i will buy a microvan and that that will drop to kids in a school and in the daytime it will make money so so she find something is wrong there that he's just trying to grab that money and he was getting money from everywhere you know i don't know how many stories we had our same stories so, so then she actually kept a translator with her and she asked me everything and i told everything yeah that's very brave yeah and somehow she managed to contact umbrella and then i got in hold with social welfare board that time umbrella was actually risking all this bad orphanages so i complained everything you know i complained to child welfare board i complained to ccwb i complained to umbrella and everything and then you were working out on a rescue process and they were trying to figure out how to rescue all the kids where to settle them but before that things happened the the orphanage owner he find out that i'm doing all this so he comes very drunk one night and he started beating me and then he kicked me out like 1 o'clock at night so i went to her house again so i spent all night with her security guard and next morning she said to me like what happened i said like okay this is this happened last night i'm leaving you know but i just wanted to say a last goodbye before i go and then she says where are you going to go and i says back to the street you know i said i told her like now i can work but you have to help them to get out of here i was trying to get them all with me but i can't now and then she was very sad with that you know and she give me some money uh, she put me some money in my hand and she contacted to the umbrella foundation so i was on a phone and i said they asked me where are you going and i said in a street and this is you can come here and i says of course and this is very happy for me so i went in umbrella and when i went in umbrella foundation i was like so many kids there already they came from the worst rescued orphanages then life was very good there you know at the starting we had a washing machines we used to meet hundreds of volunteers from all over the world we received hugs gifts seeing every time new people and it was very actually we enjoyed that life when we were kid kid doesn't need much so we don't care now if i would say this thing uh, i would say different but that time it was a very good moment at that moment so and it was better than where you'd been right exactly exactly and it was more open space there were teachers tutors you know and there were didis who were cooking food and there were washing machine where you don't have to wash your clothes you know it was a fancy orphanage out call it you know and i was in umbrella it was like a, then you have a routine like four time food in a day everything was perfectly managed then my task was to rescue them all the kids so once he uh, that orphan is one or figure out that i am behind him he moved the kids from the world place everyone was very sick took me almost 8 months to find them and i was not doing school nothing so my job was just to find them so he moved from that orphanage and he bring them into the touristic place in one hotel room like one big free hotel room it was a freak street so a lot of like bunch of hippies um staying in the hotel the whole wall was painted with naked women um all those sort of things so the 18 kids were at a one room you know when i find out and everyone was very sick and their parents doesn't know where they were and anything so then later on finally we rescued them so they also came to umbrella and again i think i spent almost 6 to 7 months in hospitals with different kids because i was a big brother of them because the, they were not trusting other staffs and everything so it was easy with me you know so i was taking that responsibilities so then later on we got uh, i think we rescued some like that kind of orphanage we rescued around 6 or 7 orphanages so we were 350 kids we were in normal and i was the biggest one i guess and what happened when you rescued those children from your orphanage did the owner go to jail yeah he went to jail yeah, yeah he went to jail 
these stories, what happens with them now, what they're doing now. So I am in touch up all those orphanages we rescued, you know. Now I know what they're doing exactly. Exactly, they're doing the same thing again. Oh, they have another orphanage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after that, I was raised there. So I had an offer to go to school. Uh, I had a many options, you know, to do so. But uh, I was almost 13, 14, you know. And then I said to them, like, I don't want to go to school with little kids to start with, again, class nursery. So I started doing self-study. Uh, I said to them, give me a job. I'll work here. I'll help you to go to find those bad orphanages. I'll make a tea for the office staffs, you know. Then slowly I was doing that then I started learning um, it was a very good experience for me meeting all different people you know I learned English I learned a lot of other stuff you know I would just grab camera for any volunteers and I was very keen to do photos and things it was good after uh, I started speaking English so my job was to go to airport pick the volunteers bring them and repeat same story every time you know your own story this story that you're telling now uh, like kind of same and then in tops of okay Amrila is doing this that all those sort of things you know so one, two years, I enjoy it because I meet every time new people in different actions. I could not write, but I could talk English, you know, and I was like enjoying that thing. And it's, oh, I'm representing Omrela, you know, I, I, I took it like this. Oh, I'm representing these big institutions to those individuals, you know. But after a while, we started realizing that 90% of children on that group are not orphaned. You know, they were all had parents and they were picked out being in orphanage homes. They were sold out. There's so many backstories that I started to realize and I, I find out it's just not me you know and it was a whole 350 of us had a crazy stories of life then my realization started coming more and I said like I feel like I'm living in a box repeating same thing like I said to you before it's like a communist you know you wear same clothes there were never fitting clothes in our bodies even after going that big orphanage you know because we always received receive donations right and we always would receive chocolates you know we always would like people would come hug first we enjoy it but when we started growing up then we realized like this is all fake because nobody gonna give you anything after they left so this all hogs tears you know this attachment everything is just what you see in front of eyes and we grown up like that. We meet thousands of people in our life, you know. We went to play football. We went, I don't know how many volunteers. Umbrella had the biggest group of volunteers coming always from Ireland, France, so many places, right? And in terms of one way, we we're very happy because we got good food. We had a washing machine. We feel like a rich kid. We had to do nothing. But then slowly I see that kids are not respecting what they're receiving. The things get slowly valueless because they figure out this is from our story selling they were always still do and they were always started getting against of the staff they think that you are getting salary because of our story because when we were kid we were like okay they are helping these are our gods you know then we change their mentality so you are not our god we are your god you are having job because of selling my story you know and how did how did they respond to that so it started like that and then the orphanage people were actually trying good but they didn't understand one thing was like this is the biggest problem of child care or everywhere in the world, I guess it's just not Nepal. When you are a small, younger kid, it doesn't cost anything, actually, not much money. You know, with $2, you can do a school. You know, it's just that budget. So anyone can afford, right? So when you grow, when you grow, when you grow, you finish your class 10, then it's expensive. If one kid wants to study doctor, you need a $60,000 minimum. To finish his whole course, you need $100,000. So why there was a conflict is Umbrella, at the studying, they gave so much facility, so many people coming. So many things. Everything was nice. And in 2008 or nine, I, I exactly don't remember that. There was a big crisis in Europe. So people, the umbrella was not actually running from the grants, like from UN or from someone. They were depending on a, each individuals. 
and so everyone was helping when they could, right? And when that crisis happened, yeah, the global financial crisis. Yeah, so many people quit that sponsorship. So the quality of life we were getting there, it started reducing, reducing, reducing. You know, it's not easy to manage three hundred twenty. To put them in a school when they are in a class five is a different story. But when they are in a class five, three hundred fifty, it's a different story. You know. And that organizers could not bear, so they were trying to cut down the cost, you know, because it was a tough time to them also to run and take care of all these kids, seven houses, hundred staffs, you know, and and all these children were just not orphans; they came from all different traumas. They all have different backstories, and they lived a life which was not there, you know. Like when you say ten years, if you say this is bad, 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 it's gonna be bad, even a good thing. So same thing with us, you know. Ten years, we claim ourselves like, okay, I'm orphan. When foreigners comes, hi, my name is this, and I'm Sushil Babu Chetri. I want to be a doctor, but I don't know. It cost hundred thousand. <laughs> it, it cost how much money to become a doctor? You know, we were trained like that. We were trained very good. I knew like my this three English was very perfect. You know, hi, my name is Sushil Babu Chetri. I want to be a doctor. Every kids had a this sort of quotations in their life. They knew what they want to be, or it was they don't want it to be. So the the orphanage were people that can attract sponsors. And even in Umbrella, then later on we started realizing that a lot of programs are designed again for volunteers, like picnic, these that. And then the children started disrespecting all this. They started thinking that this comes for free. So they are not respecting their clothes. They are not actually respecting what they were getting. They are in more worst. They come in a more good, and they realize when they were like growing up, they realize it's all business. For them, like for us, you know, they started being negative on this actually, and then Umbrella started working doing a reunification project, which project was trying to send kids back to home with their families, and I was also involved on this reunification project. And when we started finding a family, that we finds out that a lot of families were not even poor, you know, some of the families were working in abroad, and some more the moms and everyone would come to see their kids. They didn't know their kids where they lost from seven, eight years, right? They started coming with full of gold and everything. So when they come to our orphanage, they see this better life. You know, they see these washing machines, they see this routine, they see all these foreigners, and they're not ready to take their kids back home because they think that their kids are having better life with foreigners. Then there it, the problem comes. Now that the tough life, I think I missed out something. But after coming, like me, from my personal my case, I left Amla when I was seventeen. Um, I decided myself like. Okay, I want to go out. Uh, maybe I go back home, or I go out. I start my new life. I'm tired of same box, you know, same thing, same people. All this fake attachment, fake smiles, hugs, all these sort of things. When I came out, I came with such a enthusiasm of becoming a social worker. I said I came out. Okay, I gonna help people now. I gonna change people's life. I come with that motto actually. And when I came out in Tamil, I find a new scene. You know. I was always with the Nepalese children, and then I find Indian kids in Nepal that who were forced by family in that time came to Nepal just for begging and collecting plastics and all this stuff. Then I said like, okay, the school is not big deal. I could support you, but I said like they would make more money than me, you know. But it just I wanted to make a habit of going to school, so I did this project in Kalimati. I put fifty kids in a school, but I make it fifty fifty percent. It was not an NGO. I was not registered NGO. I said to them, okay, half of money I will pay for your school, half you have to pay yourself. They were not living with me. They had a home, and then I talked to some of my friends. You know, I made this documentary called Flowers in Dust, which was my first film. And there's so many people, the volunteers I knew, I sent it to them, and they're like, "Oh, Sushil, this is good idea. You can help them." I was like, "Yeah, I want to help them, but I don't want to get in the same trap because I have a bigger vision." So yeah, then it worked well. Now all these kids are in a college, 
and they take care of themselves. You know, I, we take care of them till class 11. Then I involved with a lot of social projects, talk shows and all this kind of thing. So what I find out with these kids that grown up in orphanage and that had to go back home, I am seeing now the trauma as the side effects. I was not saying that time we're enjoying everything life because it was everything was free. You know, we didn't have to work for that. Then one of my friend, actually, he comes from uh, Humla, you know, a lot of kids comes from so remote areas. Then now they have to go back home and it's tough. The guy who never work with the ox and in the field, the guy who needs a nice toilet, where is no toilet, the guy who is exposed to basketball, exposed to mobile phone, exposed to Facebook and all this thing, going back home, nothing exists there. Going back home, living, he cannot live there. And coming to the city, living here, it's tough. You know, you need to have a good income to live here. So, so they are always in confusion of this thing, you know. And so, Shia, what was it like for you when you went back home? Well, um, sometimes I feel like I'm a guy with no heart, you know. Sometimes I feel like I'm a very heartful guy. I help these and that. But sometimes I'm, I feel like I don't have that side of love. So it was a lot of time I wanted to go home. But I always had the mission in my life. I'll go only home when I'm become something. When I'm become something. When I'm become something. And it took so many years to become something. And I still become nothing, you know. I made a film about in drug addiction. So I was screening this film all over Nepal. So I was traveling alone myself. I made this film and I was going to every college, every rehabilitation center. So I had a show at my hometown. My family moved originally where I was born. So after I left my home, my dad quit alcohol. He quit the place where I was born. He quit everything. So he started his new life. So he moved to the city and he built a house. So I was doing a movie screening at my city. And the chief guest of that show was the CDO. You know, it's a chief district officer. So we screened the film and there was a time to talk on the stage. So he talked first in the stage and they invited me to talk in a stage. And I said, I belong from here. I'm from here. I'm the boy from here. Because they were thinking I came from Kathmandu. I'm a filmmaker, blah, blah. So then I said, I'm from Surkhet. And then later I realized that serial guy actually had to work with my dad. You know, my dad, very low level stuff in the office, like cleaning and everything. So that serial guy actually had to work with my dad. So he knew when I told him name, you know, it's like... Is this, is this your uncle's name? And I said, yeah, you know. And then he said, come tomorrow to my office. So I went to office next day and he invited my dad there. And I went to family and to my mom, it was a big shock you know, because everyone thinks that I, I don't exist or I'm dead. Then everyone was super happy, like mostly my mom. I was happy too. But it took me six years to build this attachment, this relation, what I am today. Because every day I'm battling with this. You know, I want to be a family guy too. But I raised differently, you know, and so I cannot be their kid as they wish. But I'm trying my best every day to fulfill that gap. And to connect. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so now I went back home. Uh, my brother is, lives with me now in Kathmandu. You know, he's living with me since five years. We do business together. So I started a cafe for him and we do together, you know. Back in home also, I started uh, from my mom. I started a small factory where they can make uh, all the women's in home. They can make like organic soap, candles and all this thing. Just I'm trying to fulfill that dots, you know, to, to connect that dots that we missed in our life. Now is I'm actually life is pretty good. I'm very happy and I go often to home. Uh, they come often to meet me in Kathmandu. They're proud, happy, you know, and I'm and I'm also very happy to be with them actually. Wonderful. So Shil, you wrote in a blog that I read that in your home region there are hardly any children left in the poor families. Why? Let me tell you uh, actually I have to go bit with the history, you know. I said like even we doing this kind of 
advocates, even learning service doing that, Clara, your podcast, and there are many people around the world now who we talk about doing good, doing responsible traveling, doing uh, ethical volunteering. So we talk about this. So there's always a business model, always changed by time, by situation. So now what we are advocating, the business model is already changed in their ways. So in our culture, there was no word called orphan. You know, I see there's no chances to be orphan because we live in a big family. I run away from home, so okay, it's optional case. But many of them, they did not run. They were like, bought there, right? So there was no word called orphan because we believe in that there is can't be orphan because we live in a big family, uncle, and grandma, uncle, cousin, and all this, right? So we always live in that chain. So why do we live in a family chain? Our traditional rule was to look after each other. So that's why we always, even we have a different, like my uncle have a different house, and my father have a different house, my other uncle have a different house. But at the same place, they cook different, they do different, but they, when there is something happens to somebody, everyone is together. That's why the, the family model in Nepal was built like that. So people were doing that before. But when it changed was when orphanage started in Nepal. And first of all, there was a, this government orphanage was started. And that time, the biggest business was adoption business. There was a very simple trick. They would bring children from the village. That time there was not much televisions, not radios, not newspapers, not website like this, right? So what they would do, they would be bringing random kids from the village, just claiming them orphan, and they would make a very blurry image and things like ad in the newspaper. That time used to be one newspaper, claim your child, and nobody would claim because that newspaper never reached to them. So they will make a fake death certificate of parents. They would make a fake orphan. And they would adopt, they would sell these kids on $40,000, $50,000, $60,000, highest price is $80,000. And they would send the kids. And the adopt son who was doing adopt, he was thinking he's giving a life to somebody. And that his intention was good. But the orphanage intention was to make money. So these other private people who were doing volunteer at that orphanage, they saw it a good business, right? And they started their own orphanage. And then the, who were working in that orphanage, they see the business, they open the another orphanage. I have the data that where I rescued those orphanages. In one orphanage, there were 200 kids and the guy who opened this orphanage and there were 10 staffs and 10 staffs opened 10 different orphanages. Even the disc cleaner opened the orphanage, we have no idea. Even the other person, tutor, he opened the orphanage because they see it as a business, right? So it grew extremely on that. And then like, now what we are advocating then there somebody came to talk about it adoption is not good not good not good right when it came all in media and then the government stopped adoption it was a backlash for uh orphanage owners so they have to come with a new business model then they started taking money with the family so the traffickers actually uh, every orphanage have a few people we can call them trafficker i think they are trafficker i don't have a better word for them you know but they are known as a uh, very good people in the society you know, they're known as, some are known as a political guy, some are known as a social worker, right? So what they do is they go to the villages, they give a fake dreams to the families. Like, oh, your children, let me take them. You don't have to pay anything. They will study in an English medium school. They will be taught by foreigners. And in the future, they can go America, they can go Australia. I mean, this is the biggest dream here, you know? So it's an easy way for your kids. You don't have to pay anything. Who doesn't want that send the kids in city to study for free where it's taught by foreigners, you know? And they would ask money with a family. So family paid $2,000, $1,000, $3,000. With that money, they give their children also. And they made a fake death certificates. They bring their kids in Kathmandu and drop it in an orphanage home and never meet again. So that was the next business model. 
and that was also working working and then the, again we started talk about these issues right and then now it's a new model again coming the religious model every church have orphanage home every other religion have orphanage home this model going to be changed all the time we cannot completely 100% stop this but all we can do is i think that only the solution is that we people we individuals we have to understand that they're spending how much money to come here for a single single example i meet many volunteers and i said like hey what do you do with kids and i said i play with kids where you stay i stay in orphanages and i said like do you really think you need to come from australia to nepal to play with kids don't they have friends <laughs> Yeah, you wrote something on this that I think is quite interesting. You said any white person can get into an orphanage. All they need is their skin color as a free pass and they will be welcomed with open arms. Junkies, drug addicts, pedophiles, hippies without anything better to do. Opening orphanage, a lot of people does it for their good image. Back in the west, they want to say, "Hey, look what I'm doing in Nepal, you know, uh this and that." but actually these guys are more uh, there are a lot of cases that who got arrested but there are thousands of people like this because this is taboo you know we never imagine like boy boy can have sex you know like the older guy who you think is a grandfather gonna sleep with this very young kids and even if that happens to the young kids young kids never says this because it's a taboo you know and the best way to miss is you know that a lot of people does they cover themselves into a social worker which is the most easiest thing like all these orphanages actually they just open on like i do some social work here depending on you for example right uh, cuz you sending me money but you not going to send me all the time because you going to also have a hard life in your life so people are not planning enough to take care of two kids in the house you know just the two children in the house for family how much effort it takes so those people getting 100 kids in the same house playing with their futures not planning anything in the futures you know and that the long term effects after coming out orphanages like emotional attachment disorders with families you know are not trusting like for me also i became this much of social you know now like i'm with all with my families brothers sisters you know like actually i have, i do made myself like my real family and my extended family i have like 5000 people every day writes me you know like all these youngsters but i still i don't believe on everyone because i have this problem because sometimes everything's even some good people i meet uh we do hog and like even the, the same thing with my girlfriends you know like i always feel i don't feel it's true you know like i always feel like okay it's could be fake you know because we seen this a lot in life so those sort of things it comes and and with the volunteers right like white faces converts into money you know like how these orphanages people or this social worker takes it here they count it as a money so shall is there such a thing as a good orphanage uh it's hard I I don't think so. I'm not saying 100% completely orphanage was bad like it's worst you should not do it or anything but there is everything always there is have a positive and negative side on everything. We can talk on positive side people questions me a lot of time like if that was not orphanage you won't be you. Yeah, of course if it was it wasn't there it won't be me or I'm today but the impact you know you you're not going to see a impact you know when you come there you just see my part of me singing smiling dancing you know being happy and imagining myself being a doctor you see only that you don't see behind that how much thing i hide you don't see the pain behind this happens so what i'm saying is it was good idea but it's a time to change the model the way it's operating you know there are a lot of other options rather than bringing children from the village bringing them somewhere giving them unrealistic life for 10 years 
and then sending back them to village that's tough you know it's better to help them in the village with the, some real guardians but you still you can help i'm i'm never against of help the way i talk with the people sometimes i sounds arrogant with but i always tell to people like come on i'm not saying not to help but help but think thousand time before you help it's better not to help if that help is not going to be help it will take a time to actually change this into model but now people are a lot of people are getting aware now a lot of people are like oh that they, they started thinking oh even the volunteers that changing their way of helping right so the only better way to do a good orphanage is we have to change the model and the other thing is if somebody really want to do a orphanage the good orphanage they don't have to forget that the raising kids with realities the house is a real house have different thing you know you grown up seeing your plants growing you grown up seeing um your cows growing you grown up seeing your father's happy you grown up seeing your father's sad you grown up seeing your mom affection love to the dad you see the moms and dad fight you know that makes you into a human you know you grown up and then you can deal with the things like now it's a lot of tough for me also even i think in my group even a lot of friends i think you are the wisest guy or you at you easily do attachment with your family and now you are with your family you are helping a lot of people in your home here and then i say you know like even i was such a open guy you know i was like always into activism from the childhood even I, the only problem is i didn't did a school but but it is a bigger university for me in life to learn but the, all the children are not capable you know because they come with a lot of traumas they have the always everyone has a back stories right and you spend 10 years staged life i would call the orphanage life is a staged life you know sushil what do you think is the greatest social challenge of our time on earth something that future generations would look back on and wonder what on earth we are thinking what i think is human needs to help human if we don't help each other nobody going to help but that there is a different kinds of help when you want to help when you know when there is a devastating earthquake for example there was a earthquake in indonesia this friday right 57 people died and there are categories when we want to help that we have to understand what i am capable of what is my expertise do i am good enough to deal with children emotions or or should i go to just clean plastics so helping is always doesn't need to be with the kids right there is a lot of other ways of helping do you want to teach children english okay but don't come for a five days to teach children in a high school you know you make five days emotions and blah blah you give a chocolate and then you go to find your time when it especially comes to work with the children take your long time it includes emotion attachment love and many thing it's not like you working with adult you know it's a children is a different thing it stays in you stays in their brain for too long and it takes long time to bring you out so it have to be proper time and this world needs help when there is a most need but we need to make sure that are we capable of doing that or are we going to make a positive impact are we going to create that impact that impact should not only help me or them we have to be impacted both the receiver and giver you know so yeah it's very true sushil if you could tell the world something and know that every single person would hear it right now what would it be live your life and first is you and then it comes to the society when you are privileged or when you are capable of giving something it's always good but think thousand time ask many questions before you help take your time to help before you rush into something and don't believe one side of the stories try to get different perspectives and when you are sure that your help 
is actually going to make an impact on somebody's life without any harm, then help. Otherwise, every one of you uh, in the West world that were listening this podcast now, I want to say you something, you know, you might have no idea. You know, you are already helping Nepal, but not knowing. Every money that your parents or you make, you pay the tax to your government. It is coming as a small aid, always in Nepal, UK aid, Australian aid, German aid, right? So you are already helping. So helping means you don't need to be physically here and do things, right? So you are already helping. But the, the day you bought a ticket to Nepal, you are already helping. The day too few things you write about Nepal, you are already helping this country, right? The only difference is... The education is a different. You guys are more educated there. Uh, it's slowly growing here, right? So all we can uh, say to people is the knowledge is the key. So giving means it's, it should not be always money. Giving means it's always should not be you. You know, it's a, it's a the best giving for me is the transforming the knowledge. And then we have to come out of a severe complex also, you know, so we could not severe. Nobody can save nobody, you know. First, I need to save myself. If I'm happy, then I can make other people happy. So let's help but the help need to be a real help you know it's not to make your emotion good or it's not just to make you feel good or it's just not make you look like good in a social sites you know be good from inside absolutely you're very right so shil where is your favorite place on earth where do you love to be i really want to explore the world i've never been out of nepal but i think almost i traveled all nepal east west north or south and um, I think the best place for me is where I am every day, where I am doing something good. I'm creating some good impact, my surroundings, my friends, my family, wherever I can give good energy, good impact, make people motivated, make people united, do something. I think that's the place where I want to be. That's the best place. Perfect. So, Shil, what podcasts are you listening to at the moment that you can share? Actually, um, a lot of people laugh with me when I say I'm a filmmaker and they ask me, have you watched this film? Have you watched that film? I say no. Usually these days I'm listening to some podcasts from, mostly from Nepal. One podcast is about books. Uh, one podcast is about music. Uh, I hear sometime from outside also. Actually, I'm, I'm very curious about knowing the world, different stories. And I follow a lot of bias news, you know, because um, I see these all African things because Africa could be the best example for Nepal to give it to people. How giving good leads you where, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sushil, I am so grateful for you sharing your story with us today. I know you've told it a thousand times and I know it must be hard every time to tell it. So I'm very, very grateful that you chose to do that for us today. It's been wonderful to talk to you and I think you have excellent advice i'm going to take that on think a thousand times before you do anything and i'm very thankful to um share a part of my stories here actually uh, while talking there's a lot of thing with missing so there's already some articles and um i wrote a book eight years before but which is never released that time i was a, i had a full of angers i have a full of negativity on volunteering, on all this thing he was going in over in Nepal. And it was good that I didn't publish that book that time because I made a lot of friends that we've been changed. And so now I think uh, the, our story, we should take it as a message to a lot of other people, a lot of volunteers. So I want to use this 
thing is now my life is completely different life i don't need to repeat every time okay i was in a street and this but i will always repeat if i have to repeat a thousand time i don't mind if it can change somebody's perspectives or something right so now i'm i'm also working on a lot uh, making videos on these issues and as well as i do commercial stuff to live myself but i want to give my life to this particular issues to make aware people a uh, lot of nepalese people needs to be aware of this and a lot of western volunteers sponsors you people around the world you know you loved nepal we feel so loved and blessed that half of the world knows nepal you know half of the world is helping in different ways so we really appreciate help you know we really appreciate everything from all the kind people from around the world but just i want to say one thing dear kind people don't let anyone misuse your kind heart so if you don't think many time that your kind heart going to be misusing it so so you have the right to not let anyone to misuse your kind heart how you can do that is you have to ask many questions trust the expert listen this kind of podcast read books people help and then you really going to make it meaningful help doing good wonderful thank you sushil This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Jajawurung and Tongrung people in the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners and true sovereigns of the land. Despite the impact of European invasion, we acknowledge their deep understanding and connection to country and rich cultural knowledge. We acknowledge and pay our respects to their elders and elders of indigenous communities across the world, past and present. Podcast episodes are made possible through the hard work of my amazing team. including audiovisual production by Brianna at Bambi Media and creative production by Olivia Allen. Thanks for listening to the Good Problem podcast. Do you want to learn more about doing better at doing good? The Good Problem podcast is a project of the Good Academy, an online learning platform designed to help you do better at doing good, whoever you are. Find out more at www.thegoodacademy.net. You can also find us on Facebook or Instagram by searching for The Good Academy. Don't forget to subscribe and share. 